Welcome to the Ship Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, April 12th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Well, greetings from beautiful central Kentucky. They call this the Bluegrass State, but the Allergy State would be a more apropos nickname. I grew up here, and I've yet to see the first blade of blue grass. But allergies, different story altogether. I am suffering from the ravages of pollen this morning, so bear with me as I soldier through today's episode of the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap. I'm going to call this episode Rinse, Wash, Repeat, because that's a perfect description of the gold and silver markets over the last several months. Gold repeated a cycle that it's run through multiple times over the last few months this week. It creeps up, breaks through the $1,300 mark, only to have a big sell-off. Well, the big sell-off in the latest cycle happened yesterday when gold tumbled down 1.5%, and silver had an even worse day, dropping 2%. Now, things seem to have stabilized this morning. As I record this, gold is trading around $1,293 per ounce. The catalyst for the sell-off seems to have been a couple of reports that came out Thursday showing that weekly jobless claims in the United States fell to the lowest level in nearly half a century, and producer prices increased the most in five months. That was in March. Now, as usual, whenever gold falls below $1,300, you get a lot of automatic selling, and that accelerates the decline in the price. Now, that producer price number came in up 0.6%. That was double what economists had forecast. Of course, producer prices often get passed along to consumers, so analysts view this as a possible precursor to inflation, which could conceivably, at least according to some analysts, bring about an end to the Powell pause in interest rate hikes. Now, I don't see that happening. The Fed has managed to revive the stock market by going dovish. It seems highly unlikely that Powell and company will be willing to spark a repeat performance of last December's stock market bloodbath. Now, speaking of central banks propping up stock markets, there was an interesting article published on the Mises Wire by economist Thorsten Polite that gets into the nuts and bolts of interest rate policy and its effects on the market. I'm going to link to that in the show notes page for those of you who are interested in such technical analysis. Anyway, gold is being pulled in two different directions right now, which accounts for this rinse, wash, repeat cycle we've been in for quite a while. It's basically stuck between a dovish Federal Reserve and a risk-on investor sentiment. So we get these back-and-forth motions in the market. In fact, gold rose to its highest level since the end of March earlier this week due to dovish central banks and worries about global growth. On Tuesday, the IMF slashed its global economic growth forecast for the year, and the yellow metal pushed above 1313 on Wednesday. That was the highest finish since March 26th, and it wrapped up its longest win streak since a five-day rise that ended on January 31st. Now, I've said this on numerous occasions, but I think it bears repeating. We should be careful not to get caught up in the daily or weekly fluctuations in the price of gold and keep our eyes on the market and the economic fundamentals. And here's the reality. 
we're still in a bubble economy. The world is still awash in debt, and the central bankers are still pushing this rickety shopping cart along. Speaking of debt, the net worth of the U.S. comes in at negative $21.5 trillion. This according to the financial report of the United States government recently released by the Treasury Department. The report is a summary of the financial condition of the United States. In a nutshell, it's less than ideal. Think of this report like the financial statement and balance sheet released by a company. Now, a couple of people commented on the article I wrote about this saying, well, it's just irrelevant because the numbers are all arbitrary or, you know, they're not accounting right, but it's really not irrelevant. This is based on standard accounting procedures, so we can compare it to any other organization. Look, no matter how you slice it, when your net worth is negative, that's not good. And when it's negative $20.5 trillion, well, I'm not even quite sure what words you use to describe how bad that really is. And it's actually worse than that. If you factor in the estimates of unfunded liabilities, such as Social Security and Medicare, the country's net worth actually comes in at negative $75 trillion, which is roughly the size of the entire global economy. Yeah, yikes. Now, net worth is calculated by taking total assets and subtracting the total liabilities. The U.S. government owns $3.8 trillion in assets. That's what it's got on its balance sheet. This includes $581 billion in equipment, mostly owned by the military, and about $500 billion in real estate. Now, this does not include federal lands that are managed by the Bureau of Land Management or the Department of the Interior. These are considered, quote, stewardship assets held on behalf of the American people. Now, yes, I realize that this is a bunch of semantical BS, but it does work for technical accounting purposes. I've had a couple of people say that this means that things aren't nearly as bad as the headline suggests, but they assume that all of this land is worth far more than it really is. Its value comes in at under $2 trillion, so that doesn't really make a dent in the negative $21.5 trillion negative net worth. Now, here's what's really sad. The most valuable asset that the federal government owns is $1.4 trillion in net loans receivable. These are primarily government-backed student loans, totaling $1.8 trillion. Yes, you heard that right. The government's number one asset is the debt owed to it by the young people across America. That's pretty sad. Meanwhile, the government's liabilities total more than $25 trillion. This includes the $22 trillion-plus national debt, accrued interest, and federal employee and veteran benefits. So, would you buy stock in this company? Yeah, me neither. And there are a number of other countries that aren't buying stock in it either. Central bank gold purchases hit a level not seen since 2008 through the first two months of 2019. 2008. Remember what happened in 2008? Central banks added 90 tons of gold in the first two months of the year, according to the latest report by the World Gold Council. This compares to 56 tons through the first two months of 2018, and it ranks as the highest rate of growth since 2008. 
The biggest gold buyers, of course, are countries like Russia and China that are desperately trying to minimize their exposure to the U.S. dollar as much as possible. You can understand that because the United States has used the dollar as a weapon. But between you and me, just overall, this doesn't really seem like such a bad idea given the fiscal condition of Uncle Sam. In its gold demand trends full year in Q4 2018 report, the World Gold Council said it expects central bank gold buying to continue through 2019. This, of course, would help push overall demand for the yellow metal up. That's one of those market fundamentals that I mentioned earlier. Before I wrap up the show, I want to talk a little bit about silver. The silver-gold ratio was over 86 earlier this week. Now, it's narrowed slightly, but it's still above 85. This is historically high. In simplest terms, this means silver is significantly undervalued compared to gold. And gold is undervalued right now in and of itself. So in a nutshell, what you have is silver on sale. And the fundamentals look really good for the silver market as well. The Silver Institute released its 2019 World Silver Survey report this week. Silver demand was up 4% and hit a three-year high in 2018. Physical demand for the white metal came in at over 1 billion ounces. That's the first time that's happened in three years. Meanwhile, silver mine production fell for the third straight year, dropping 2% in 2018 to 855.7 million ounces. Now, you might think industrial demand was the primary driver here, but industrial demand for silver was actually off slightly last year. It was investment demand that pushed up overall demand for silver. Investment demand, including physical bars, coins, and metal purchases, along with additions of physical metal to ETP holdings, rose 5% to 161 million ounces. Silver bar demand jumped by 53% last year. So apparently, there are a lot of investors who are taking advantage of silver on sale. Back to the silver-gold ratio. Historically, it has been closer to 40 to 1. In other words, it's way out of whack right now. Given the supply and demand dynamics, along with the prospects of a weakening dollar in the midst of this Powell pause, it seems likely that that gap will eventually close. Kitco News interviewed one of the analysts who worked on the Silver Institute report. He said, quote, people are turning to silver because of its huge price divergent with gold. The gold-silver ratio is ridiculously high and is not sustainable. It's just a question of when the ratio comes down. End quote. Silver has hit an all-time high of $49 per ounce twice in January 1980 and then again in April 2011. If you ingest that $49 high for inflation, you're looking at a price of around $150 per ounce. Again, more evidence that silver is greatly undervalued. In other words, silver has a long way to run up. As one analyst put it, with the long-term downside potential of silver very low versus its current valuation, the risk-reward is one of the best investments on the planet. If you want to get a little more insight into the silver market, I'm going to put a link to my It's Your Dime interview with the director of the Silver Institute on the show notes page. Uh, I did that a few months ago, but I think the information is still very relevant. Of course, you can also call a Shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist, and they can tell you even more about the dynamics in both the silver and the gold markets. 
just call 1-888-GOLD-160. Well, that is a gold wrap for this week. This episode has been brought to you by Kentucky Pollock. You can get more details on all of these stories and more, and keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week at shiftgold.com news. And if you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap over at iTunes or on the Shift Gold YouTube channel. You'll find links to both of those over on the show notes page. If you are listening on YouTube, please feel free to share your thoughts on this week's gold news in the comments section. And if you like the show, make sure you like it up because that helps our reach, helps us get out to more people. So again, thank you as always for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.